Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Welcome. How are you, Matt? Welcome. I'm doing good. Like, it's it's been a couple weeks, I think, since we recorded. Yep. Um, so it's uh, like, I don't know, getting out of the routine a little bit. Um, but yeah. The bottom hasn't fully dropped out. That's the good news, in in my opinion. <laughs> you know, COVID really took took a leg out from under us, but the bottom hasn't all the way dropped out. And that's exciting. We're still in 2020. We're st- still surviving it. Um, but there's a book. Although everybody wants to get done with 2020. <laughs> Can we just finish it and move on to 2021? Hey, if we let this year end, then 2021. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> the best dad joke I've heard this week. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, you blew my mind the other day with this book. Um, it's called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. And it, yep. I mean, it basically is a book that, I don't know, the best way to, to describe setting it up um, is it talks about how we as a church, especially here in the United States, have been operating as if um, everybody is on board with Jesus. Yeah. Right. That that'd be kind yeah. of the quick yeah. way to describe Christendom. That there's a Judeo Judeo Christian centric culture <laughs> that exists, and this author proposes that actually we've moved back into apostolic mission, um, and we need to start behaving as such. Otherwise, there's going to be some serious uh, ramifications. Yeah, I think like the the author proposing that comes kind of at the end. I think at the 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 purpose of the book is is to help us as church recognize what type of society we are in and respond appropriately. You know, what does it look like? How is the church, you know, supposed to operate within a Christendom society, a society like you said that is that is in line with Christian values or whatnot? Um, and has a Christian mindset about it, and then and then how do you, how does the church supposed to operate in apostolic mission? Like, what does that look like? Right. Um, and in recognizing each of those societies, okay, this is what this looks like. This is what that looks like. And and once you realize what society you're in, then you need to like change the way you operate. And like from what I from what I gather with the book is one of the things he talks about is we've gone through and like the church as a whole has gone through several different you know shifts on on this it's it hasn't always been christendom it hasn't always been apostolic mission and even in like so that's on the macro level like the church as a whole worldwide but then on the micro level like you've got the church in certain areas that has gone through shifts you know probably multiple times um over the centuries from apostolic mission to Christendom and and the church has to adapt, you know, in in those times. And I think the urgency that spoke to me is as I'm reading this, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, the church isn't adapting. Right? That yeah. that that for me is kind of what 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 spoke to me. And I I want to recommend every ministry leader out there that's listening, you can pick this book up on Kindle. It's like 8 bucks and it's 92 pages. So you could read it in a week, you know, just in in a couple of sittings. If you have a day, if you have like just a chunk of time, it takes four hours to read. Um, really, if you're a, if you're a moderately you know good reader, like if you have dys- dyslexia, like a friend of ours, it may take a little longer. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so the um, 
it's funny, like before we dive too further into the book, I, I always think it's interesting um, how, I don't know, how you find books, how books come into your life. Sure. And then, and then when those books do, it's, uh, it's, it's those, especially those transforming books, like back when, you know, forming intentional disciples first came out, it was like, like the, the trail of how I found that book was really interesting. I don't even, I don't even remember it anymore, but um, the trail of how we found this book, you know, it, it came, you know, from my spiritual director who had listened to another podcast who was promoting the book, you know, or talking about the book on their podcast. Um, and by the way, the Acts 29 podcast, um, I, I want to check them out. I, I, I'd love to have them on this, on our podcast cross, you know, uh, yeah, A crossover if, if episode. On, yeah, crossover episode or whatever. Just bring them on as guests on yeah. ours. Um, cause, um, I, I started listening to them after this. It was just like, they're, they're really looking like they are like in that position of this is an apostolic age that we're in yeah. and we, the church has to be, you know, in this stance of mission. And I, I just love what they're doing. And to continue to brag on another podcast, that Acts 29 is amazing. Father John is absolutely wonderful. But the first couple episodes, they break open the kerygma in a very accessible way. And so if you have volunteers that kind of don't get what the basic gospel message is, it really, in, in just, I guess, four hours, everything is four hours, and just about four hours of listening, uh, they can have a comprehensive understanding of what the kerygma is. And that's that's kind of peppered into the first five or six episodes, which I highly recommend. Yeah, so I, like I, I bring up the like kind of the the trail of how it got here because neither one of us, neither Chris nor I, is so brilliant enough to have come up that the, like to found this on our own. <laughs> like, we, like, and that's kind of like ministry leaders in general. Like we, um, like we don't come by a lot of the stuff we we use or utilize or that transforms us on our own. Like we actually depend on each other to to hone our skills to get better and and learn, and that's um, just something I, I loved always pointing out. So this book is transforming. You put it in the same yes. same realm as forming intentional disciples. Some other books that fall into that kind of category in regards to it. It blew my mind and and demanded a response. Would be re, rebuilt. Would be another one. Divine renovation yep. would be another one. Um, yep. And so this this falls into that same category. So get hungry. And get this book, and uh, and we're going to share some of our thoughts. Yeah, and it's it's funny because as I was reading it, I was like, this shouldn't be blowing my mind, but it is, you know. And it was convicting in certain parts. It was like, you know what, um, I have been doing ministry the same old way, partially because that's what's accepted. You know, doing ministry in this way is what's accepted by the church. You know, and I'm hired by the church, so I need to do it in this way. Um, and so it's like, like I've got to, like, we've got to start thinking a lot more radically about the way we do ministry, which is also going to potentially, um, make us, I don't want to say make us unhirable. Um, but if we're not doing it the same old way that it's always been done and that's the way that everybody wants to do it, then we may not get as many jobs. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And I think that's, there's a specific specific trait that needs to be received in order to put this into action. Yeah. And that's, that's hard when you read it and you're impassioned emboldened by it. And then you start to say, where can I execute it? And you see more, <laughs> more closed doors and open doors. But the thing yeah. is, is, I do not believe that this is talking about traditional programming. I believe this is talking about a disposition of the church. And I think that COVID really revealed the fact that we were in a, um, a Christendom facade, but we were actually in an apostolic mission world. 
And okay. so, and so the, it, it was like, everyone was just going through this kind of remnant of a Christian culture where it, yeah, it's good to be a part of a, especially here in the South in the Bible Bentland area. It's great to be a part of a Christian community. Of course, you're going to go to church on Sunday. And then when COVID hit and all of a sudden it's not safe or you're not being careful enough, everyone started missing church. And then about three weeks went by and no one was going, but no one missed it anymore either. And that's the haunting reality. It's like it wasn't enough of the fabric. It was more um, a decoration on the wall. And when you moved it and replaced it with another decoration that said COVID safety, um, and I'm not saying that that should be dismissive or anything like that. I just didn't see people hunger on a long timeline. And that leads me to believe that we weren't really connected to Christ. We were connected to a Christian culture. And you can look at Europe and they are a post-Christian culture. And I feel like we are headed in that direction. And COVID kind of held up the mirror to us and said, see, this is where you're at. Yeah. And I like one of the, so when, when looking at, the Christendom culture, there are good things about that because you can send your kids out into the world, you know, at school or society or whatever, and expect that your values for the most part are going to be upheld. That's one of the characteristics and one of the good things of living in that kind of a society. One of the bad things about it is that you'll have people who, who say that they're Christian just because it's easier. You know, it's easier to be Christian than not because everyone else is Christian. Um, it's easier to follow, th- you know, the yeah the crowd than it is to go against them. So this is uh, this is a quote from the book from page twenty two. The great sin of Christendom is hypocrisy, pretending to be more interested in God and in virtue than one is. Professing Christianity is the norm. Living the faith as genuine disciples is the exception. Yeah, and so I, like. Once that starts to shift in society and it's no longer advantageous for someone to be Christian, which I would argue that's where we are. You know, there are there are several industries maybe where it's advantageous or maybe with specific people it's advantageous to be Christian. Um, but for the most part, people don't talk about their faith in the public realm, in their jobs. And, and if they do, they, they put themselves at risk. That is like, so that's why reading this book, it was like, Oh wow, duh! We're not in a Christendom society because that's not accepted. Like that's just one of those symptoms that you just don't pick up on until someone like just shows it to you, like on a piece of paper, whatever, in a book. Right. Unless it's not a, a conviction that's held. You show up on on a Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday. You show up with ashes on your forehead, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's fascinating. That's a fascinating aspect about who you are." Uh, but then, yeah. but then, if you're saying your blessing before meals every single day in the in the company workroom everyone's like oh that guy's a part of the religious right you know what i mean let's stay away mm-hmm. from him or something yeah, yeah. something like that and so there is kind of this thing to where it's like oh that's fascinating that's interesting good for you um to where some elements of christendom can still be uh remnants present like to where you you see it like okay it's good let's invite everyone up to the church for vacation bible school and things like that but to assume that people actually know who jesus is on a personal level is an aspect of christendom that I think a lot of ministry leaders operate out of. But that's not the case. People know of Jesus as a character. They don't know of him as Lord and Savior. And that's where apostolic mission really needs to come into play. Um, But we assume, we, I'm speaking very generally, assume that they already have had kind of that Jesus encounter. And that's that's just not the case. They, they, They know all the words. They even might know some scripture verses. But to have a relationship with Christ 
that used to be the norm in Christendom, prayer and, and different things like that. And that is not that that's not the Christendom we're in because we're not in Christendom. That's kind of the argument the book makes. Yeah. So it it it's just interesting because like in reading the book, what came out to me um, was like some of the symptoms that I'd already seen, they're already experienced, and they just kind of put words to what I was experiencing. That that uh, that whole idea of you know, like I was, and I, I don't want to say hesitant to send my kids to public school, um, but I was. Uh, my kids, most of my kids, like save for one this year, like have always gone to Catholic school. Um, and it's like the hope is that within that environment, we are all going the same direction. And what I teach at home is reinforced at school. And what is taught at the school is reinforced at home. Um, and and I, I don't see that happening in the public school sphere unless you just so happen to luck out and get into this really awesome charter school that just so happens to, <laughs> to fit with those values, you know. Um, and so that's a a sign that we're, we are in an apostolic mission era, you know? And so anyway, that, that once they said that or something about the society, not necessarily going in line with your beliefs, it was like, Oh, well, that's one of the reasons why I don't put my kids in public school. And it was like, well now, so that's just another one of those things that just like shone a light on something I already felt and believed and whatnot. Not that, I mean, again, I don't want to, not that public school is all bad or anything like that. Um, but there is this, you have to be a lot more diligent as a parent. Um, and maybe just you know, like across the board, you had to be more diligent. Cause I know that the parents in all, you know, different schools are struggling with things that, that they haven't had to struggle with before. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, one of the highlights on page two, the church needs to pay attention to the modes by which she carries on her graced battle to be sure she is not fighting yesterday's war using mm-hmm. strategies for that, for whatever reason are outmoded or have become ineffective. This is kind of that, that, that for me slapped me in the face. Am I ministering to uh, a generation or two ago? I was effective then. Am I, am I relevant now? And I think every ministry leader needs to discern kind of, am I fighting yesterday's war or how am I fighting today's spiritual battle to, to capture souls, you know, to evangelize, to grow disciples. And the same is true with the most essential ministry leaders, Matt, as you pointed out, parents, right? Mm. And it talks about, there was a big section in this book that talked about how the way that we were raised in Christendom. All we had to do was do the same thing that our parents did, and we would yep. raise up good Catholic kids, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Lather, rinse, repeat, and it was effective in the midst of Christendom. But we are not in Christendom. And so the same patterns that took place for how our parents raised us, we have to adapt and change in the way that we parent this next generation, or we will fail, and the stats have pointed that to be true. It's interesting because my guess is, based on the data and some of the things you said earlier in the podcast, that they weren't effective. They they looked effective, just like just like uh, so many people that called themselves Christians looked Christian because they did Christian things. Um, but like you talked, you were talking about the hypocrisy earlier, like the lather, rinse, repeat. You know, just do what my parents did. That kind of thing would would create Catholics or create Christians that did all the right things, but who may not actually have a real relationship with Jesus. And I would argue that if if we get into the question of when did Christendom start to fade in the United mm-hmm. States, yeah. I, I'm not going to say COVID. I think COVID revealed that it was it was thinned, no. completely thinned. And I and, and I don't want to say. Um, 
you know, in, in the last 20 years. I actually think it started to fade um, between Vatican I and Vatican II. I believe that yep. Vatican II, uh, the, the council there, its goal was to renew Christendom in a lot of the areas that it was fading. And we took way too long to implement yeah. some of the some of the depth of those documents that to to this day we're still unpacking, and yep. in the meantime the the Christendom culture that existed in a number of areas throughout the world had had completely eroded. Yep, absolutely. And so and so this that. is when, when you say that the way our parents raised us, you got to keep in mind that our parents, Matt and I, are both uh, young forties. Our parents raised us in a uh, eroding Christendom culture. Uh, without yeah. without even knowing it, and so yep. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm talking Leave It to Beaver might have been the last generation of Christendom, <laughs> Christendom kids, you know, and, and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, like so, when, as it as it transitions to more of an apostolic mission era, then then you like it doesn't even the the nominal Christians don't stay nominally Christian like that. It's once it starts to shift like a lot more towards that. Then the the way that mom and dad brought up their kids, or the way that grandpa and grandma brought up mom and dad, isn't going to work, you know. For you know, and 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 honestly, it, it shouldn't work, <laughs> even in apostolic or even in Christendom times. That's that shouldn't be sufficient. Like we have to be diligent. So page three, just speaking exactly to what you said, because there's sheep. There's wolf in sheep clothing, right? Mm. The situation is made yet more complex in that many who have abandoned Christianity and have embraced an entirely different understanding of the world still call themselves Christian. Yep. And that's that's the challenge is, is you know, you're Christian in name only or, or Catholic in name only. And you're like, yeah, I'm Catholic, but I, I haven't practiced, but I'm still going to claim Catholicism because that's, that's a heritage. <laughs> But Catholicism yeah. is not a heritage. I mean, yes, yeah. it is, but it's not a heritage alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's not like saying, "Hey, I'm from you know uh, Poland." That's not. That's not. <laughs> so I'm Polish. <laughs> so I'm. So I'm Polish. Yes, that's true. That that is true. But like Catholicism <laughs> is supposed to be a relationship, an engaged experience with a living God, um, instead of a an artifact on a family tree. And so, so that that's something that we have to battle against because. The, uh, 33% of Catholics attend Mass on any given Sunday mm-hmm. here in the United States. That means two-thirds yeah. of them don't. <laughs> sorry, this is pre-COVID. <laughs> I would say like yeah. 13% attend Mass on a given yeah. Sunday now until dispensations are lifted. And I, I think there's bishops that are really prudently saying, I need to wait so that I don't have a bunch more Catholics that are falling into grave, grave sin. Yeah. Well, that sounds weird. I don't like that idea. I don't like it either. I think it's flawed <laughs> yeah, logic. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah. it's problematic. But wait a second. But but I am glad I'm, I'm gonna, gonna say I'm gonna say lying is not a sin for a while, just because there's so many liars and I don't want them to be sinning. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just glad I'm not a bishop. That's all I gotta yeah, say. No I'm kidding. So glad I'm not no a bishop. Kidding. So Okay, I've I've got a couple other highlights that I wanna wanna touch on. Um but let, let, let's pause for a second because I think some listeners might be like, what do you mean by apostolic age, right? And so we've talked about Christendom. We've kind of nailed down. And I just think think about Leave it to Beaver and kind of that whole thing where society was built around a, a crisis. And they, they talked about the preacher's uh, homily uh, in the front yards, you know, on the weekends. This yep. is what people going to church and stuff like that was central. The churches were more central to the community as opposed to another club or another activity for the family. But in in the apostolic age, what would be some examples of that? 
Well, the Acts of the Apostles, that's like the first apostolic age would be the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah, that's the most obvious one. Like, but like our, the, the age we're in now is, is going, is different, you know, but um, persecution, you know, is one of the most obvious, you know, signifiers or whatever, identifiers, there you go, you know, of a, uh, an apostolic age, you know, because like if you, if you live out your faith, if you live out your beliefs, it's going to be contrary to the culture and you're going to be persecuted for that. Um, so martyrdom is, is obviously part of that, but also being ostracized, you know, in, in the society, you know, if, if you hold to your beliefs and hold firm, people aren't going to do business with you. Like you, there's a potential of, of, of loss of money, loss of income, loss of relationships. Loss so of that's, status. that's all, yeah, that's all persecution. Um, and, and that happens that's, that's, you know, in an apostolic age. And so as ministry leaders, as we go through that lens, we have to assume that the average person that we're going to talk to not only doesn't have a relationship with Christ or a living relationship with Christ, but also is not interested, Right. And, and, that, and that's the difference from Christendom to the apostolic age, that we have to assume that we're going to be rejected more and that yep. it's like we leave the 99 to find the one. Finding that one is going to be hard. There's going to yep. be a lot of different, you know, brush that we're going to have to untangle just to find that that one. And then to rejoice in that reality, because I see numbers dropping and people are losing their minds. They're really struggling with it. And rightfully yep. so. That's kind of a scary reality. Um, but I would argue that the numbers were, were uh, fa- falsely inflated anyways. Absolutely. And I'd rather have real, real low numbers than false big numbers. Um, but the, so the thought that I had in, uh, about this whole persecution idea, it's like in a Christendom, Christendom society, the catechetical leader or whatever is not going to be, I mean, like preparing them to be ready to be persecuted. Like, and so like in your teaching, in the way that you teach and what you prepare people for, you're not going to do that because it, and people are like, what? <laughs> like, this makes no sense unless they're missionaries, right? Missionaries prepared for that, right? So then in an, and again, they're going into an apostolic mission territory. And so those who are in an apostolic mission age or whatever, you have to be prepared to be persecuted, you have to be prepared to defend the faith and and to take abuse, if you will. And so that's that's just a difference in the way you teach, depending on the the mission or the 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 age you live in. And so it requires a radical love for Jesus Christ in a way that's not necessary to keep the machine working in uh, in a Christendom age. And so he talks about that in Christendom maintenance is actually a big part of it. The universities, the hospital systems, the, the the parish programs and different things like that, when they're maintained in a Christendom age, it stabilizes the Christendom age. I mean, that's 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 great. And we've seen great examples of that in the last hundred years here in the United States. But in an apostolic age, we have to have a missionary disposition from maintenance to mission is the season that we're in in the church. And I don't know if we remember some of our identity all the way back to Acts of the Apostles. I don't know if we remember our missional identity. Yeah. And that's hard. What I liked about that section also was that he he tried to make maintenance not a four-letter word, you know, because like in, in a lot of evangelical Catholic circles, that that word is a four-letter word, you know? Um, and so saying maintenance, it's like, oh, no, no, the church should never be in maintenance mode. It's like, yes, like in times of like Christendom, it has to be in maintenance mode, but it can't look like it does like right now at the end of Christendom. 
you know, it, it can't. If you've ever driven from Texas into Louisiana, you realize how important maintenance is. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the roads. <laughs> those roads, man. Those roads. So some maintenance that could, could, could do well. For those roads. Um, <laughs> well, and, and yeah, what does maintenance look like in a Christendom era? Like right now, <laughs> to be honest, it doesn't matter because we're not there, you know, but maintenance like is something that dives deeper than just superficial stuff, you know, um, and some of the stuff that like, like real maintenance may honestly be what would happen with Vatican II. Like if we had actually responded with Vatican II and the new evangelization when it first, like, like when, when it was first, like, I don't know, opened up to our eyes. You know, if we had actually responded with maintenance, you know, in that way, um, we we wouldn't be where we are now. You right. know, the church wouldn't. You know, it could might not be. Maintenance would have um, would have removed the need for the new evangelization because the the new evangelization is focused very much on inward on reclaiming those who had walked away. Had yep. those who had, had before they walked away been nourished and maintained, then we wouldn't have that great need for the new evangelization. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah. here's what I recommend that we do, because this is how I felt at moments reading this book, is go get a glass of wine and a box of Kleenex and just the sky is falling, right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's, one, that's one option. It's not the best option, but it's one option. <laughs> Another option would be to sit and look and reflect, because when communism came into, um, into our world in a fierce way, our Lord rose saints up, right? And John yep. Paul II the Great uh, is is one of those saints, right? And so this is a quote from page 29. We receive Christ both from the times in which we uh, are to live and the grace to engage the world as it is. In other words, we can share and know Christ in the context of this new apostolic age. And we have the grace to engage the world from that same Christ in this new apostolic age. In other words, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is unfortunate. Yes, this is not ideal. But this is the the hand that we've been dealt. And we have the grace to win, to build the kingdom of God here on earth. You ministry leaders have the grace to do that in the context of the world that you're in. And many of you already have profound relationships with those who are called into mission. And we just have to embolden them, empower them, and be a rally cry to move them forward. And that's one of the things I find most exciting about this time is in each of these moments where that has happened in the history of the church, God has done amazing things to transform his church. You know, anytime the church needs that transformation, um, he's done it like that restoration. He's done it like through the the grace that he gives, you know, people to to rise up and make that change. And and I'm excited, you know, to to hopefully be a part of that. You know, to 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 respond to that grace, to, to respond what he's giving us, giving me, to do something about it. You know, and to be a part of that, yeah, that that army of change, even if it's a remnant. You know, it's it's going to be, I, I don't know, awesome to be a part of that. And there there have been beautiful things that are happening because Matt and I have recently been connected with a couple other diocesan leaders just in the last few weeks, and the only thing that connected us was our passion. That, that leads in the same way. And we're seeing, yep. we're talking to people in Florida and the Holy Spirit that's working in us is working in the exact same way with the, that community down in Florida. And there's pockets of this because that's how the Holy Spirit works. This is not just a message for me. This is not just a message for you. This is a movement of the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever been uncomfortable or if you've ever hungered for more as a ministry leader, if you've ever wondered why not, if you've ever like felt like the Holy Spirit has been um, caged a little bit, 
this is the time of mission. This is the time yeah. to yep. to open up that cage and let's see what happens. And yes, this is going to be met with a lot of failure and a lot of hard learning lessons. But that is a staple. That's a staple of the apostolic age. You have to assume that you're going to fall more times than you succeed um, in the midst of the apostolic age because that's how the early apostles did it. They went out there knowing that their lives were at stake, that they might not come home because they were saying a bold yes to Christ. But the good news that we are sharing is worth it. Yes. Like the good news that we are sharing is worth all of that. And it's transformative. And we need a society to be transformed. So take a breath. Thank you for letting us, for coming to our TED Talk and our soapbox. But we're, <laughs> we're passionate about this. And uh, there's some practical things that we want to unpack. And so we're going to do a part two. We're out of time for today, yep. um, but we're yep. going to unpack it. Again, the name of the book is From Christendom to the Apostolic Age. And uh, the author, if you Google it on Amazon, is St. Mary's Press. All right, guys, let's continue this conversation online. We will continue it actually in the next podcast. Um, please send any feedback you have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, Anonymous, <laughs> how about this? Join our Facebook group. It's a closed group where we can discuss these things with passion. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. So take this time. <laughs> Take this time and take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders as we move into the apostolic age. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless. God bless.